Hey everybody, when you hear that music, you know that it's time for On the Lighter Side of Baseball. Jamie Retzke here, coming to you live from Chicago, Illinois, where it is a scorcher today. And the Cubs take on the San Diego Padres with John Lester showing the way to a hopefully 7-1 and one start after the All-Star break. Will the bats come out today? Will the home runs fly out of Wrigley? This is home run kind of weather. But before we get to that and all the exciting developments in Major League Baseball, on the lighter side of baseball, I just wanted to welcome you back and tell you again that we're at the present time, you can hear us on Apple iPod, or you can hear us on SoundCloud, and we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, although uh, we really don't know how to tweet. We aren't real sure what you do on Instagram, and uh, as far as Facebook, I have yet to put anything up there since the original post, but hey, we'll get there. We're old, but we learn slow. Hey, there are a couple things that are going on with this 25th broadcast of The Lighter Side of Baseball. And we're going to get to famous number 25s, which is sure to spark a little bit of controversy because uh, number 25 happens to be Barry Bonds. And with number 25, we'll be able to work in a little Barry Bonds PED discussion. We'll be able to weave in a little bit of Dave Nelson and the Background of Nelly with the Bonds family. Dave uh, was good friends with Bobby Bonds, father of Barry Bonds. And so uh, we're going to talk about 25s later on. But here's some of the subjects we're going to talk about today. Yes, sir. We're going to try to make this light. But, man, how do you get light on some of the things that are going on in baseball? There's labor unrest. Oh, my goodness. These guys are averaging, what, two, three, four million dollars for six months worth of fun? And they're going to strike because Verlander and Scherzer and Arenado and some of the other billionaires, well, maybe not billionaires, but they're pretty well off. They think that things are bad because the owners aren't willing to pay $300 million to Bryce Harper uh, without giving it a lot of thought. And so why in the world did... did uh, the uh, Kimbrel transaction takes so long, and why did Kluber take so long, and da-da-da-da-da. So, I mean, they've got as much popular support for a strike as, um, I don't know, as there is for uh, running to first base uh, on a pass ball. Yes, sir, that's a rule in the Atlantic League. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But in order of preference, and you have to think this is the leading subject for today because... This is only two days away from the Hall of Fame induction, and we're going to talk because one of my favorite subjects, one of my favorite institutions in the world, is in fact the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. I wish I were there. I was going to get together with my good friend. Well, he's not a good friend. He's a friend. Have lunch or breakfast with him every year, once at least and maybe twice. That's Jerry Reinsdorf, but Mr. Reinsdorf, is in route and probably already in Cooperstown, and he is the proud uh, presenter, probably, if not the real presenter. He's the guy that's responsible for number three, Harold Baines, getting into the Hall of Fame. And uh, it's a Chicago kind of a, uh, a weekend for the, uh, for the folks at the Hall of Fame, we've got not only Harold Baines going in from the White Sox, but Lee Smith. And Smith 
definitely deserves the door of the Hall of Fame to open, and I'm glad it's open for him. Uh, he did give me a lot of grief at fantasy camp. Really was kind of rude to me at dinner, at the final fantasy camp dinner. But uh, he said I talked too much. And, uh, man, you know, I can talk a lot of baseball with these guys, all from the heart and a little from the brain. And so, anyway, Lee Smith, he laughed about it. But uh, uh, he and Durham were uh, all over me at fantasy camp for... Uh, uh, the motor mouth that they claim that I had, but I don't think that's true. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. And in addition to those two guys going in, uh, there are a couple other guys that are probably uh, going in under questionable uh, statistics, and that would be Mike Messina, who pitched for, I think, virtually every team in modern baseball, and uh, Roy Halladay, who was a great pitcher, but... I believe his pitch, his wins was like just over 200. Not quite sure why he got the nod, but um, uh, unfortunately, Halliday uh, died in a tragic experimental plane crash. And as a result, uh, his family will be accepting the award similar to what uh, Ron Santo's wife did for uh, uh, Ron. And so anyway, that uh, brings us to the two guys that are really, in my opinion, the real Hall of Famers in this uh, class. And that's not to take anything away from Bainsey or from uh, uh, anybody else. But uh, I do think that there's only one guy that got every vote from every person voting on the Hall of Fame, and that's Mariano Rivera. And uh, well-deserved. He's probably the best, well, no probably about it. He's the top. Uh, relief pitcher in modern baseball history, and so uh, well-deserved. And then the uh, king of the designated hitter, uh, if it's not Harold Baines, and it isn't Harold Baines, let me just underscore that, it is not Harold Baines, it's Edgar Martinez, well-deserved, and it's about time. Now, uh, in addition to the Hall of Fame, we'll talk about, well, you know, will the Cubs have a June swoon in... Uh, August, will the Brewers and the Cardinals put out some money for pitching? Uh, you know, uh, the Brewers, if they don't spend some money on, say, a Miner or a Bumgardner or a Bauer, then they just ought to revolt because they're filling up that ballpark. They're getting some good TV money. And they're in the thick of things, two games behind the Cubs. Cardinals are two and a half games behind the Cubs. These teams ought to be rolling out the barrel for renting a player for the rest of the uh, rest of the season. And as we said, the deadline looms. It's a hard, fast trade deadline of July 31st. No waiver deals. You're not going to be able to put, you know, one of your – $10 million guys on waivers, which he'll clear, and then get rid of him for a bunch of uh, stiffs. Not going to happen this year, so they say. But interestingly, the playoff rosters are not set until August 31st. So what happens between July 31st and August 31st that could affect a, a playoff squad? You got me. I mean, I, I guess the only thing would be if a team designated someone for assignment, cleared waivers, and then he was released and outrighted to Omaha or whatever. And that's just not, it shouldn't happen, I don't think. 
uh, they're not going to outright release somebody like Bumgarner. So if he's not traded in the next few days, boom, he's stuck out there uh, until his contract runs out. So anyway, it's a, it's a funny way that this thing is going to be set up. But there's about 10 players, uh, the uh, uh, relief pitcher for the Giants, the starting pitcher for the Giants. Uh, you've got the uh, other good other good guys that are candidates that I think there's going to be some some movement, but I don't look for the Cubs to do a darn thing. They talk about it. I think they're going to get Zobi back, and then they're going to say, hey, we got Kimbrell, and we're going with the guys we've got. I think when Contreras comes back, uh, they option Maldonado to uh, Omaha. They can't. They cannot get rid of Carantini. They just can't. That wouldn't be fair. And so... Um, it's going to be an interesting two weeks, two weeks from uh, uh, yesterday, I think. But be that as it may, we got that going on. So we got the deadline. We got the Hall of Fame. We got will the Cubs collapse. We have will the Brewers and the Cards get some pitching to help them win the Central Division, which is wide, W-I-D-E, open. Uh, will uh, the... Uh, <laughs> rules from the Atlantic League ever be adopted by Major League Baseball? Uh, I don't think so, man. These guys are slow to move on anything. The pitch clock's a joke. Now, here's the deal. If if you had a pitch clock that really was a pitch clock, like the NBA or the shot clock in college basketball, so it would work like this. Ball gets in the catcher's glove. He throws the ball back to the pitcher. Thud gets into his Rawlings or his Wilson glove, and the pitch clock starts, and it won't stop for anything until the ball thuds into the catcher's hand or the ball releases the pitcher's hand. That's a real shot clock. 30 seconds, boom, 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 things move. You can't step off the river and stop the clock and start it up again. You can't throw to first and start it up again. Uh, maybe a throw to first. Uh, stops the clock but doesn't reset it. So my rule would be 30 seconds, throw the ball. And what happened uh, yesterday in some of these games, it was so hot, uh, especially in Kansas City, that the pitchers were staying on the rubber. They'd get the ball, they'd look in for the sign, boom. They were throwing the ball every 10 or 15 seconds and it seemed to uh, work out pretty good. Now, that's my pitch clock. Some of these other rules that, you know, the, the rule where you have to break contact with the rubber in the Atlantic League to throw over to first base, I don't get it. I don't get the Bach rule, apparently. I don't get the Bach rule with the uh, uh, lefty or righty. Uh, the broadcasters the other night missed the rule when they wondered why the umpire was asking the pitcher what was going on with the guy on third. You have to now declare whether you're going from the stretch or going to wind up with a runner at third, so you can't do anything hocus-pocusy there. Uh, you got the collision rule that came into uh, play in the Angels game uh, where the, uh, the, the catcher got laid out, and it really, I don't think the runner had any, any opportunity to do anything differently. He slid into him, hit him with the shoulder, and uh, down goes Frazier. Gets three-game suspension. Some people said that's not enough. I say that's too much. Let's get on with the uh, let's get on with the game. There, there. You know the other thing. There's some plays at the plate now. It looks like some guys 
Maybe there was a note that got sent out. But it seems that nobody anymore, and for a long time, they were doing it, it was ridiculous. Nobody seems to be arguing for the replay of pivots at second base, and nobody seems to be arguing that the catcher didn't leave an alley for the base runner. Uh, so maybe MLB sent a letter out to all the managers, stop asking for replays on that. But I think it's funny that they have stopped asking for replays on that. But uh, that's my conspiracy theory for the day. Back to the Atlantic League. Uh, they had a robotic uh, umpire, with, uh, but it only, it only worked if you had an Apple phone and uh, Apple uh, things in your ear. I don't know what they call those things. I, uh, ear pods, maybe. But um, so, you know, the right side would bleep for a strike and the left for a ball, I guess. And, uh, you know, I guess he was there to call box and uh, dust off home plate and throw a ball back on a foul. I mean, I, you got a lot of things that your home plate umpire can do besides call balls and strikes, but please don't ever have a robot umpiring. It's ridiculous. Unless it's Joe West. Now, if you have Joe West behind the plate or Angel Hernandez behind the plate, by all means, a robot beats them two to one. But everybody else, let them do their job. It's part of baseball. Would uh, probably help my blood pressure 20 points if we didn't have real umpires, but that's the way it goes. And I'm just a spectator. I don't know how Madden's so cool and calm and collected. Uh, there are a lot of cool, calm and collected managers. What happened to the Lou Pinellas and Bill, Billy Martins? They were a lot more fun to watch um, than the guys now, but uh, be that as it may, we got that. We've got this on a pass ball in the Atlantic League with nobody on base or anybody on base. Everybody can run. You know, if the bases are loaded, you can run. If I guess you could run at your own risk even. Let's say there's a knuckle, uh, a guy that threw a knuckleball or an oofus pitch. Can you just throw the ball, your bat down, and run to first base? <laughs> you're, you're like a pitcher in the National League. The odds are something good's going to happen when you just start running to first base. It wouldn't otherwise happen. Most pitchers strike out, or a lot of them do. Now, that doesn't apply to Steven Strasburg, who tied Kyle Hendricks for the first time in, I think, three or four years where a pitcher got two hits in the same inning. Strasburg hit a home run and a single, knocked in five RBIs, which was a, you know, a record. And, uh, you know, he actually looked like he had fun for five seconds after his home run. You've never seen Strasburg happy. Uh, he and Scherzer have mixed it up a couple times. Uh, Strasburg always looks like as soon as he's done pitching, he's going to go get a root canal. And uh, for the first time, at least the first time I've seen, he hits a home run, comes in, kind of takes it slow down the steps of the dugout, and then they give him the home run line and everybody's dancing around, including Strasburg. Rare moment, may never happen again. Then the uh, other rule that the Atlantic League is looking at is to move the mound back two feet. So instead of pitching from 60 feet six inches, guys would be pitching from 62 feet, six inches. I think that's a great idea. In fact, when I played softball uh, all-star game in the Marine Corps back uh, 70 or 80 pounds ago, uh, we played against Eddie Fainer and the king in his court. Eddie Fainer, of course, was the king. And uh, this was probably, let's see, it would have been a Camp Lejeune in uh, 1976, 77. 
So I was all of 27 years old. Anyway, the king was older than dirt by then. And now, if you have never seen the king and his court, and it may be too late because Eddie Fainer may be Eddie Goner. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to look that up and let everybody know. But what a nice man he was. So, if you don't know the concept of the king and his court, Eddie Fainer was a star. And at least when we played him, he had John Bateman catching, who was a former Houston Astro. He had another guy out there, plus his son, Eddie Fainer Jr. And so you had Eddie pitching, you had Bateman catching, you had a shortstop and an outfielder. And uh, the outfielder, I don't know his name, but the, but occasionally Fainer would pitch from second base with a blindfold on. And his kid would stand next to him and so the first pitch would come in and the kid would say three inches to the right. And so the second pitch, at least being the brilliant headsy ball player I was back in the uh, uh, 1970s playing for the Camp Lejeune All-Star softball team, I knew it was going to be right down the middle, which it was, and I drilled a double in the gap. Now, double in the gap with one guy playing the outfield isn't really a lot to talk about, but hey, I had a good time. Got a couple of hits off of Fainer. That may have been my highlight, other than I think if you listened earlier in these podcasts, I told you the college highlight of my career was striking out against Bert Hooten three times. Now, why was that a highlight? A, uh, that may have been the only game I got three at-bats. B, rarely got a hit, and if I did, it wasn't off anybody I'd ever heard of. And uh, C, Hooten went on to be a great Major League Baseball player, which reminds me of when I went to, we were talking about this the other day, fantasy camps and or baseball camps. Now, I heard Rick Sutcliffe had a funny, funny uh, guest appearance on a local radio show in Chicago where he talked about he went to Randy Hundley's fantasy camp as a coach, instructor, and uh, Chilios, the hockey player, went. First play, broke his kneecap, but... Uh, that was fantasy camp. I had a great time at fantasy camp. I told you already about Lee Smith giving me grief at fantasy camp, but be that as it may, that segued into a buddy of mine talking about, uh, and I'm going to do a podcast with Bruce because he's pretty funny. He uh, went to the Mickey Owens baseball camp, and I looked at that baseball camp and decided not to go there. Let me tell you, when when I was growing up, Sporting News was the big newspaper. It was a Bible of baseball. They had every box score for not only Major League, but every minor league team. And back then, there were a lot of minor league teams. And so once a week, you'd get this big, thick newspaper. It was awesome. It had awesome stories. It had awesome stuff in there about uh, Major League Baseball. And uh, it also had, uh, on the back page, advertisements. And they had, like, big state baseball camp, Mickey Owens baseball camp and many, many others. So Bruce, my buddy, uh, signed up for a couple of weeks at Mickey Owens Fantasy Camp, made it a day or two, got homesick and left, but they gave him like a free trip the next year, and he went back and he, I'm sure, starred. Uh, Bruce also went to Fantasy Camp with me, and, uh, you know, we were remarkably mediocre, uh, and mediocre is probably charitable, but we had a great time. Uh, man, oh, man. Becker and Santo and Williams and Joe Pepitone and, and Randy Hundley and 
My God, if anybody out there gets a chance to go to fantasy camp, you got to be over 30 years old, go. It's a hoot, and I think the Cubs probably do it better than anybody. Hundley came up with the concept, and uh, I'll go back again if I drop 40 pounds. But be that as it may, uh, that got us into talking about baseball camp, and I'd never seen anybody else who went to a baseball camp besides me. I went to Ted Klazuski baseball camp in Bainbridge, Ohio, Clue was there, got a picture with Clue, probably talked about it in an earlier podcast. Guys from the University of Cincinnati were the instructors. I had a great time. Uh, but in addition to having a great time, one of my buddies uh, at the camp, who I met at the camp, you know, it was a baseball rat like I was, and, uh, uh, you know, you learn a lot. I mean, you can't help learning a lot of baseball in two weeks uh, when that's all you do. Four, three games a day, a couple workouts, et cetera, et cetera, in the daytime, at night. But uh, this kid that I went to baseball camp with pitched for the Red Sox in the 1975 World Series, a kid named Jim Burton. And uh, Burton didn't exactly have a lengthy career, and when you're going to have a cup of coffee, you might as well have a cup of coffee you know, during the World Series. And so uh, I got to look and see what happened to Jim, but... Anyway, that was my go-to-camp story, following my go-to-fantasy camp story. And uh, I don't know how we got into that, but it was fun, and I think anybody and everybody ought to do it if they're a baseball nut. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the dog days. The White Sox have come out of the gates after the All-Star break and just, just threw up all over themselves. The Yankees are on a roll the uh, uh, Dodgers and the Yankees are certainly trending towards being the teams in the World Series. I hope not. You know, I still hold out hope for the Cubs versus the uh, uh, Red Sox. That would be great. The attendance is going down. The strike's looming. And so we're back onto the grumpier side of baseball. The Cubs don't seem to get hits with runners in scoring position. Uh, I do think there are a couple teams, as I predicted. The Indians are coming back. The Astros are fighting hard to stay afloat in first place. The Dodgers, that division is over. The Oakland A's are on a roll. The Royals are on a roll somewhere. The Orioles still are absolutely as pathetic as the Marlins. And we have a pretty good race going on now in the East between the Braves the Nationals, and the uh, Phillies. That's going to heat up, and that's going to be pretty exciting. The Central Division is wide open, and that's going to be pretty cool. So who's going to go grab a few players to make their team better? I predict it will be the Brewers and the Cardinals in the National League, and then I think that in the American League, man, I, I mean, I think the, uh, the Twins ought to uh, try to get a few more people, but... We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back, and we are going to discuss number 25. We're going to discuss a little bit about why I don't think that the major felons on the PED front should be in consideration ever for the Hall of Fame, and uh, why I don't think they're as good and shouldn't be held in as high esteem as some of the other players. I'm going to give you again, now that I've thought about it, reflected upon it, and I even looked up some of the statistics for a change, and uh, my research staff should be congratulated 
going to talk about my fame, uh, the top 20 or 25 hitters ever. I'm going to talk about the top five or ten pitchers again, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what's going to happen with respect to the um, next couple months in Major League Baseball, all of which should be a lot of fun. And uh, speaking of fun, we're going to talk a little bit about what I'm doing this afternoon, and that is heading out in the excessive heat, which should feel awesome at Wrigley Field, to uh, watch the Padres, an up-and-coming team. They just need a few more guys, and are they going to get rid of Yates? Oh, my God, I hope not. Uh, they've got, they had a great pitching performance from uh, Haddock or Paddock or Craddock or Braddock, whatever his name is, the kid can pitch. And uh, they're dangling Yates out there, their save leader. And uh, that's probably a good sign. So anyway, that's going to be this afternoon. And uh, we'll be back in just a few minutes after a break from our sponsors, which we don't have, so it'll be a short break. You guys hang in there. And uh, we, again, appreciate everybody that listens, everybody that gets a hold of me with a comment. And speaking of that, we're going to talk a little bit about Barry Bonds because uh, at least one of my uh, loyal listeners is a huge, huge, huge Barry Bonds fan. So we'll be back in a few minutes and uh, go from there. And we are back, and we are excited. Uh, we were excited at the conclusion of our uh, episode number 25 before we took the break. We had a little bit of uh, Coca-Cola Zero, another great potential sponsor for the show. But uh, they don't mind me talking about how wonderful that is. So uh, it is good, and it has gotten me pumped up because I'm pumped up for the game this afternoon. I'm pumped up to get that to Wrigley. I'm pumped up to see the Cubs hopefully get more than six hits, hopefully get a few hits in with runners in scoring position. But let's talk about number 25, some of the number 25s that, uh, that are near and dear to our hearts. So, uh, as I said, one of my uh, loyal listeners is a big Barry Bonds fan, and he goes, oh, my goodness, Bonds has to be the premier number 25 guy. And... Uh, Speaking of 25, I'll go back to 24. I forgot a very, very, very important number 24, and I got a great picture that I'm going to put up on Instagram as soon as my uh, daughter shows me how to do that again, uh, or my daughter-in-law. Either one can do that. I'm slow learning the world of Instagram. But number 24, Craig Kimbrell, got a great picture of him throwing in his first game for the Chicago Cubs. Back to number 25, uh, Bonds doesn't get my vote because he cheated. Uh, if you're going to rate the four cheaters, my, four, my big four cheaters in all of Major League Baseball history, and I'm not counting the guys that greased up a ball, and I'm not counting the guys that had a little fingernail file in their glove, and I'm not counting any of those guys that rubbed up the ball, put foreign substance on the ball, you know, that's just like, uh, that's, that, that's part of baseball. The f my four leading cheaters are, and not necessarily in this order, but if I were to put them in order, I would put Pete Rose as the number one cheater in the history of the game. What an idiot, betting on baseball when he's managing the Reds. And his defense was originally, well, I took my team. <laughs> 
or I didn't bet on my team. I'm not sure which he finally came up with, but he ultimately uh, admitted that he bet on his own team while he was managing. Uh, Petey boy, you're a great hitter, kind of a not-so-great um, spokesman for the game, but you are my number one cheater, followed by Roger Clements. Clements falls into that category of, um, you know, Andy Pettit disremembered. I mean, come on, fess up. He gained 75 pounds during the course of your career, and uh, you juiced up. Everybody in the world knew it. So uh, he is right behind Pete Rose because he tried to, uh, he tried to, uh, say that he didn't do it, which is like Palmero pointing his finger at the Congress saying, I did not use steroids, and then a week later testing positive. Uh, you know, and the dummies, the dummy PED guys that don't make my top four would probably, uh, and my top four cheaters would, would again uh, include Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Clements, I got to throw Shoeless Joe in there. God, he was great. He'll be the top hitter on my list in a few minutes. But the guys that were sort of the fringe cheaters, because, you know, you got McGuire, you got Sosa, you got Conseco, you've got Ramirez, Manny, you got Braun, on and on and on and on and on. And some cheaters come back and get huge contracts. Uh, Maybe we'll have an episode sometime on big cheaters that uh, cheating paid off. Uh, you know, Bronny's probably one of them, but, you know, like I said, I cut him some slack because he spent a couple days at hospice with Nellie, and yeah, that counts for something. So, yeah, I can, I can be persuaded, but I'm not going to be persuaded about Bonds, Clements, or Pete Rose. Shoeless Joe just kind of got caught up, and that wasn't very fair. So... Bonds does not make my top number 25 guys who do fall into that category is a guy whose name will live in infamy. And by infamy, I'm defining that even greater than Pearl Harbor infamy. And that is forever linked to the game as long as they don't start robotic pitching. If real guys go out there and pitch, their arms are going to get sore. They're ligaments are going to tear, and they're going to need surgery named after number 25 for the Chicago White Sox, one of my favorites, an ATO at Indiana State University, Tommy John. What a great, uh, nice man, uh, not such a great baseball announcer, but a good guy, good man, and he and Joe Horland and Gary Peters and... Other guys with the Chicago White Sox were some of the guys that I watched growing up. I loved those guys. Loved Tommy John. Loved Joel Horland. Gary Peters. And earlier, Juan Pizarro. And John Buzzhart. And uh, on and on and on. And uh, so anyway, those guys are pretty cool. A-Rod, forget it, dude. You may be right up there with Bonds and Clements. In fact, he is. I've just expanded my four-man list to five. I can probably come up with a few more, but forget it. My number 25. Now, here's something interesting. Speaking of Barry Bonds, his father 
This is some trivia question. His father, I'm not going to throw it out because our phone system is down right now, so don't bother calling. If you did call, you guys could find out my own number, and I don't want you to because it's bad enough getting criticized for thinking Pumpsy Green was the second baseman, but I digressed. Anyway, we were talking about famous number 25s, and here's sort of a number 25 worn by a player on both the Chicago Cubs and the Chicago White Sox and related to one of the guys on the cheating list. So you give that about two seconds of thought, and it would be Bobby Bonds, wore number 25 for the Cubs and number 25 for the White Sox. I didn't even know he played for both till my Cracker Jack research staff looked that up during some of their research. So uh, that was pretty cool. And uh, Bobby Bonds, as a matter of fact, as I told you, we'd get into that on the uh, uh, Nelly uh, highlights. And uh, this may not have been a Nelly highlight, but this was one of the funny stories he told me later in his uh, life. And that was that during uh, the fall leagues, which really they didn't have the fall leagues, but they sent their rookies out to California to uh, play and, um, you know, it could have been spring training. I don't know. I, I didn't listen to the details, but here's the scoop. Nelly didn't have a lot of money, and Bonds was making pretty good coin. So Barry, uh, who was about a year or two or three old, years old, was out with the family at the uh, spring training or fall league or whatever it was. Bobby Bonds asked Nelly if he would like to... Uh, get a ride back to Los Angeles with uh, Bobby. And so Dave goes, yeah, that's great, you know, thinking he's going to be sitting in the front seat living the life with uh, Bobby Bonds heading back from Arizona to L.A. and thinking, well, that's going to be great. Well, Bobby tells him what time and where he'll pick him up, and he swings by in his big old car, picks him up, and lo and behold, he got Bonds, Bonds' wife, and uh, Bonzo's family, including Barry, who for 250 miles or four and a half hours from Arizona to L.A., bounced up and down on Nellie's lap. Little bitty Barry. He has a deal with Dave's life. He came in contact with a bunch of of uh, weird weird dudes, for you know, weird situations, not always weird dudes. For example, and again, this digression is fun, one of the bat boys in Dave's Little League slash Pony League career was none other than Hall of Famer Eddie Murray. Absolutely. So Eddie was a little bad boy for Nelly, and uh, the two laughed about that. And in fact, when Murray, a little bit of trivia for you folks out there, when Murray got his 3,000th base hit, he was a member of the Cleveland Indians. And who was at first base to put his arm around him? Was, I mean, Eddie was pretty tall. So Nelly's up on his tiptoes putting his arm around him. None other than his bat boy, little Eddie Murray. 3,000th hit, Cleveland Indians, Dave Nelson at first base. There's a little Nelly trivia for you. Another bat boy in the minor leagues for uh, one of Dave's teams was none other than the head football coach for a number of teams, including my Southern Methodist University Mustangs, June Jones. June friggin' Jones was a bad boy for Nelly in the minor leagues. So there you have it. That's, uh, that's how I wove 
and you all recall, part of this show is because I don't have Dave to talk to anymore. And so I brought back a story from Dave's past about Bobby Bonds and Barry Bonds. Now, that's not easy to do, but I did that for the benefit of my buddy, who's a big Barry Bonds fan, and he tells me that he saw Barry uh, sometimes swinging around Aspen, and Bonds was as big as a house, and we know why. Uh, he got that way from PEDs and Balcor, and I mean, the dude is uh, guilty as a dog, so I just can't put him up there with ton number 25. Another famous number 25, another White Sox, a Hall of Famer, Jim Tomey. I mean, come on. There's another great number 25, Jimmy Tomey, and a Cleveland Indian, and a guy who personally autographed a cracked game bat to Dave. Thanks for all your help. You've been a great friend, Jim Tomey. It's sitting in my house. I love it. Tomey's a good guy, and... Uh, working for a baseball uh, MLB network, working for Jerry Reinsdorf. And I mean, you saw him on the Futures Hall of Fame, or the Futures All-Star Game, coaching, managing, uh, he and Sean Casey. What a great pair of guys. And uh, that's cool. Got another bat that, uh, to Dave, you're the greatest Sean Casey, the mayor. So anyway, Nelly was loved by everybody. He's a great, great ambassador of the game, great human being. And uh, everybody knows how I feel about Nelly, and it's fun to talk about him because uh, a lot of the podcasts I just get going, and I, I don't talk about Dave as much as I'd like to. But anyway, there you have it. So you got Tommy John and Jim Tomey from the White Sox, Barry Bonds from the or Bobby Bonds from the White Sox, Barry, Barry, Barry. You know, he was a Hall of Famer with Pittsburgh. He was a bum with the Giants. I don't care how many. Yeah, you look at the stats, man. He's up there with Babe Ruth. There's no question that drug-induced, this guy was great. One of the all-time greats. Can't take that away from him. Won't take that away from him. But he ain't on my list. Who is left on my list? Another number 25 for the Chicago Cubs. The guy that should be in the Hall of Fame. A guy that played in five or six All-Star games. A guy that hit for an average 301. A guy who, by some rights, rate him as one of the top 10 third basemen ever to play the game. He's certainly the best third baseman not in the Hall of Fame. He ought to be in the Hall of Fame. The Veterans Committee should be ashamed that he's not in the Hall of Fame. And that is number 25 for the Chicago Cubs, Stan Hack. Went to a couple World Series, played in a couple All-Star games up in the... Uh, uh, in the course of that, and uh, like I said, played in five or six, and he was a great number 25. So, where do we stand? Let's say we have uh, talked about the Black Sox from time to time and the White Sox, because this is the 100th anniversary of the Black Sox. So, where were they uh, during the 1919 All-Star break? Well, let's say this that by July 14th, 1919, the White Sox were 47 up and 26 down. So they were already 21 games over 500 by the All-Star break. But you smart folks out there are saying, wait a minute, dude, what are you talking about? The All-Star games didn't start until Comiskey Park, 1933. And always, whenever I think of that, I went to the, uh, I didn't go to the 1933 All-Star Game, no. 
I did go to the 50th anniversary of the 1933 All-Star Game held at Comiskey Park slash might have been even, yeah, I think it was still Comiskey Park. And that was number 50. And that year, it's the only game, All-Star Game, that there was a Grand Slam hit by Freddie Lynn. Hoo, hoo, hoo. How about that for some All-Star trivia? What were the Chicago Go, Go White Sox 1959? What was their record at the All-Star break, which they had in 1959? And the White Sox at that time were 48 up and 36 down. Not bad. Not bad at all. So that's a little bit of the catch-up. Uh, and interestingly, in 1919, the second-place team were the Cleveland Indians, and in 1959, the second-place team were the Cleveland Indians. The White Sox, you know, all this, all this time, I thought the White Sox just squeaked it out by a game or two. They won by five-and-a-half. I think they were five-and-a-half up. At the end of the uh, at the end of the year in 1959, and what a great team we have gone through that great team. So now it's time for who I think are the greatest hitters of all time, and I had it off the top of my head in podcast 24, podcast 25. Number, you, let's start at the bottom. I've got about 25. Now this just kind of popped into my head, but I did go back and do a little research. So. Number, let's just say I got 25. The bottom guy right now, Mel Ott. <laughs> Great player. Right in front of him is Rogers Hornsby. You can't go, I mean, how in the world do you go wrong with this? These guys are, all these guys are the real deal. They didn't cheat. They weren't Barry Bonds. Robin Yon played his entire career in Milwaukee. What a great guy. Big supporter of the Dave Nelson Golf Tournament. I asked Robin Yant how in the world they were going to treat him, Euchre, and Aaron any better than they've treated my good friend Dave, and they, they just can't. Um, the Brewers continue to do lots of nice things for Dave and the Open Arms place. Open Arms, home for children. Sorry, Bob. Anyway, the next, this is a great list. Next, I would have, coming up from the bottom, you got Ott. Hornsby, Yant, DiMaggio, then Ken Griffey Jr., then Frank Robinson, then Tris Speaker, then a member of the 1919 White Sox that did not cheat, Eddie Collins. In front of him would be none other than Cal Ripken. In front of him would be George Brett. In front of him would be my favorite guy and a nickname one of my nicknames as I was growing up because of my last name, not because of the way I hit, Carl Yastrzemski. Yes, number eight. And by the way, his nephew, Mike Yastrzemski, is starting to turn it on for the Giants, which is kind of fun. Hit his first home run the other day. And uh, let's hear it for Mike Yastrzemski. And if anybody can spell Yastrzemski, you get a free hot dog at Wrigley if you come over to my seats. Then in front of Yaz, Honus Wagner. In front of Honus, Maybe the two best hitters of all time, Ted Williams and Tony Gwynn. Going up the list, Stan the Man, usual. My God, you can't beat Stan the Man. In front of him, Mickey Mantle. In front of him, Hank Aaron. In front of him, Willie Mays. In front of him, Roberto Clemente. Now, Clemente doesn't make your war top ten. That's why the war list is absolutely ridiculous. There's no better hitter in baseball at that time in his era 
captain Roberto Clemente. In front of him, Jimmy Fox. In front of him, a guy that's right up there with these other bozos, cheaters. But I couldn't come up much dirt other than he sharpened his spikes and was a very aggressive ball player. The Georgia Peach, none other than Ty Cobb. Now, here are my top three. And there's no order. Because if I was going to put an order to it, my top guy would be none other than Lou Gehrig. And there isn't a better player in the world than Lou Gehrig, number four for the New York Yankees. He had the consecutive game streak. He hit behind Ruth. He just quietly went through the brilliant career that he had, part of the time being sick with ALS, amyo lateral sclerosis, amyotropic lateral ALS. And um, they have made a lot of progress with ALS, and hopefully someday there'll be a cure. But Lou Gehrig, the number one player in my book of all time. Some people say, well, he's the first baseman, really didn't, you know, do anything else besides hit 300 all the time, hit a ton of home runs all the time. Hitting behind Babe Ruth was not easy. Hitting in front of Babe Ruth would have been easier. But anyway, Garrick's my number one, Ruth is my number two, and Shoeless Joe is my number three. Go top that. You just can't. Jackson was great. Garrick was great. Ruth was great. Cobb, Fox, Clemente, Mays. These guys are the real deal. Okay. So, and I haven't given pitching as much thought. This is going to be a little spotty with respect to um, some of the um, players that I've listed. But, and I forgot Josh Gibson on my list of all-time greats, and I apologize wholeheartedly. Because my number one pitcher ever in the history of baseball was none other than Satchel Paige. And let's tip our hats to Satchel. He pitched a lot of games. There was no pitch limit. He pitched doubleheaders. He pitched every day of the week. He barnstormed. He made it to the major leagues. He was unbelievable. And if you ever get a chance to listen to the Ken Burns baseball series, uh, there is just a great, great portion of that dedicated to Negro League Baseball, and Buck O'Neill narrates a lot for Ken Burns, and it's great. And listening to some of the stories about Satchel, unbelievable. In addition to Satchel, I guess, bringing up the far distant second, would be Cy Young, Walter Johnson, Carl Hubble. You got, in my era, of flannel baseball. You had Koufax, Spahn, Drysdale, and Ford. Then you get to the double-knit era of baseball, and you've got Seaver and Maddox and uh, Randy Johnson. Going back a little bit, you got Lefty Grove, and I'm sure I'll come up with some more guys. But that's it. I mean, Satchel, Cy, Walter Johnson, Big Train, Carl Hubble, how many guys in a row did he strike out in the All-Star game? This year, some guy strikes Bieber. Not Justin Bieber, but a guy named Bieber. Not leave it to Bieber, but Bieber. 
uh, strikes out three guys and gets the MVP of the All-Star game. Now, come on. The All-Star game was certainly a little bit of a, of a crummy show. But Huff hits a home run, wins the game, and he doesn't get the MVP. Something's rotten in Denmark. Something was even more rotten in Cleveland. But, uh, hey, uh, leave it to Beaver. He got it. Um, that was the all-star game. That was the uh, list of pitchers that I have right now. Um, I think that everything else that we're talking about is just sort of going to see what happens in the next couple of weeks before the trade deadline. And then you got August baseball. September baseball, the call-ups, which I'll get into why I think the roster size and the call-ups September series need to be changed. I would suggest you can expand your rosters as much as you want to pay the rookie salaries to, but before every series you have to turn in a 25-man roster and the other 15 people don't get to dress for the game or play in the game. I guess they could dress for the game, sit in the bullpen, have fun, do whatever they do in the bullpen. That looks a lot of fun to me. Uh, that's that's kind of it. In terms of, uh, you know, gymnastics, there's always a really, really good dismount. I don't have any really good dismounts. I do note that there was at least one ridiculous signing, and that was the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know what the deal is. Drew Smiley must, like... Do something for the team to get signed by these teams. Theo signs a guy, and he never plays, but he paid him a million plus. Then he goes and signs with Texas and gets his brains beat out, gets released, and now Philadelphia signs him. So what are you going to do? Syndergaard might get moved. Bauer might get moved. Bumgartner will get moved. Miner will get moved. And on and on and on. Uh, we've got... Uh, some interesting things going on with the Cubs that I'll see out at Wrigley. And then on August 5th, as I said before, I'm going to head up to, well, it depends on where you are. I'll be heading down at that point to Wausau, Wisconsin, to watch a game in the North Woods League where college kids use wooden bats. And in fact, that's pretty appropriate for the team I'm going to go watch. I'm going to have a couple hot dogs. I'm going to sample their nachos and pretzels and soft drinks and see how much two hot dogs, nachos, pretzels, and a soft drink, drink and maybe Dippin' Dots. I love minor league Dippin' Dots. Hopefully they'll have some Dippin' Dots out there. None other than the Wisconsin Woodchucks. Am I going to go see the Woodchucks? So how much, I said already, how much wood can a Woodchuck chuck? I don't know, but we're going to check out their dogs, we're going to check out their nachos, uh, and we're going to check out some of the other stuff that I like to uh, consume in a game, and then I'll drive back up to uh, Land Lakes. And after that game, I plan to do a, a podcast with one of my all-time great listeners. So there you have it. I hope you guys have a great day. I'm going to head out to the golf course early in the morning tomorrow and early in the, golf, in the day on Sunday, and then head back to Kansas City. Our next podcast, number 26, will be coming to you live from Kansas City, where there's only one number 26 at this time that I know about. And that's the man with the sweetest swing and a nice statue and a great voice to sing the national anthem and take me out to the ball game. None other than, guys, I learned this at fantasy camp. His nickname is Wiss. 
wiss, not wuss, wiss. And wiss is none other than sweet swinging Billy Williams. I mean, there isn't another sweet swing like Billy unless you get down to Carl Yastrzemski. But Billy Williams, number 26 for the Chicago Cubs. It's going to be exciting. Uh, number to cover. I'm sure there are other number 26 that we can get into and talk a little bit about. But uh, maybe next week we'll talk a little bit about baseball cards because I'll be back in Kansas City and I'll be looking at some of my baseball cards, which is fun and uh, was the subject of uh, Costas the other night on his broadcast talking about some really, really interesting cards from uh, Pumpsy Green to Joe Pignatano to Sal Magley, to you name it. I mean, there's some great, the great thing about those old cards, there were only a couple hundred in the, uh, in the set, which made it even more unique. So there you have it. I'm heading to Wrigley. I'm looking forward to it. And uh, I'm going to talk to the Lloyd the Beer guy. He told me he would uh, agree to do a podcast. I'm going to talk to Tom the Scalper, see if he'll do a podcast. And uh, Lloyd tells me that a new book's coming out on the vendors of Comiskey Park. That'll be exciting. And so there you have it, folks, uh, from Chicago. Uh, you've been listening to On the Lighter Side of Baseball. And uh, we appreciate everybody that's listening and hope that you have a great weekend and stay cool in this hot weather. That's it from here on the Lighter Side of Baseball. Jamie Retzke. Uh-huh.